Hello, I'm Scott Millis, senior pastor here at Living Word Family Church, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and equips you in your walk with Christ. Here's today's message. I'm going to go a little bit different direction this morning than I have in the last few weeks, at least to start out with. As if you've been here for any length of time, and this bothers some people, and uh, tough, <laughs> I, I don't typically do holiday-themed messages. I don't preach a Mother's Day sermon on Mother's Day or a Father's Day sermon on Father's Day. I don't preach about uh, the value of work on Labor Day and so on, um, unless it is a Christian holiday. I do typically preach a Christmas message, an Easter message. But uh, tomorrow is Memorial Day, and I was thinking. I guess I was thinking about it because I've just seen a number of really cool short messages and uh, posts uh, about Memorial Day that, that caught my attention, and many of them contained one version or another of, the, of this simple truth, that the freedoms and privileges that we enjoy as Americans were bought and paid for with the lives of brave men and women over the years. Now, I know that not everybody who served in defense of our rights, in defense of our nation, in defense of our freedom, not everybody who served died. But we have Veterans Day to recognize and honor those who served and lived to tell the tale. Memorial Day is the day that we set aside to remember those who made the ultimate sacrifice. And there were some uh, thoughtful and intelligent and sensitive memes. There were some funny memes. One of my favorites was uh, a picture of uh, an image of Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride. Anybody besides me ever see that movie? And uh, he's saying, when you say, Happy Memorial Day, I do not think it means what you think it means. You have to think about it for a second. Happy Memorial Day, when it's a day for somber reflection and remembrance. Uh, a couple others had a variation on this theme. A soldier shaking the hand of the little boy at a cookout saying, just remember, uh, it's Memorial Day, in case you forgot and thought it was National Barbecue Day. But my favorite one was this one. Can we get that image up there? Kind of cool. Your day at the beach brought to you by their day at the beach. Saw a number of articles about that D-Day landing and how that first wave, uh, the first wave of, uh, of those boats that unloaded the troops, something like 90% of the men on those boats did not survive. That, that, that first wave of attack. And I'm sure the leaders knew that this is, this is uh, the price that was going to be paid. How many of those individual soldiers? Uh, I mean, they knew the risks. I don't know how many of knew what sort of statistics would wind up being the truth on that day. But the common thread, of course, is this. By all means, enjoy the day. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your freedom and celebrate it. But always, please always remember that someone else, many someone else's, had to die for you to be able to do that, for us to be able to do this. And likewise, it's proper, I believe, uh, we'd all agree, it's proper not only to remember those soldiers 
sailors, airmen, and marines who died, but also the families who lost sons and daughters, families, families who lost fathers and mothers, sisters and brothers. I'm going to think of the story of the five Sullivan brothers. Remember them? Five, five brothers all serving on the same ship and all died when that ship was sunk during World War II. That uh, incredible loss that family endured in one day. And that was, by the way, at least part of the inspiration for the movie Saving Private Ryan, World War II film I'm sure most of you have seen, or many of you have seen. And if you have seen it, I'm sure you'll, sure you'll remember the scene toward the end where, and sorry, I don't do spoiler warnings, spoiler warnings for uh, movies that are that old. If you've missed it so far, uh, you can put your fingers in your ears. But there's a scene at the end where Tom Hanks' character, this is the one that plays the captain who has led the, this patrol all these miles and all these days to find Private Ryan, whose brothers have all died, uh, to get him safely back behind friendly lines so that he can be uh, sent back to the United States for the remainder of his service because they didn't want his family, they didn't want his family to uh, lose every son. But uh, after the mission is essentially accomplished and many have died in order to rescue Private Ryan, Tom Hanks' character lies there dying. And do you remember what he says to him? Say it loud. Earn this. Earn this. Well, how do you earn something that's already done? Live your life in such a way that the sacrifice, the price already paid, was not in vain. Now, you can easily see where this is going, I'm sure. But before we get there, I want to back up and look at something else. Something in the grand scheme of things that is a much more important sacrifice, series of sacrifices, as far as we as believers are concerned. And this is taking nothing away from those who died in the service of our country, but we are Christians, and we need to look at the big picture, the kingdom of God. And although I don't know why I bother to keep saying things like this. My goal is to keep this short and sweet because I know this is a busy day for many of us. And it's an oft-repeated complaint that uh, we are living in a society that is biblically illiterate. Hard to argue with. More concerning, though, is the observation that way too many believers, self-proclaimed Christians, are biblically illiterate. People who have confessed Christ, people who have received salvation, who have uh, come to Christ in a way that you and I would find valid, and yet hold on to... I'm not just talking about whether they don't have the books of the Bible memorized, they, uh, they can't recite the Ten Commandments. I'm talking about they're considered biblically illiterate because they hold views that are contrary to the biblical worldview and don't see any, they don't see any conflict there because they don't know what the Bible says about it, about real life. And the Bible does speak to our lives, doesn't it? And what's generally meant by that, by when a lot of people talk about biblical illiteracy, is uh, people are lamenting the fact that few people understand just even simple principles of interpretation, how to read the Bible, something like that, context. I think the problem is much simpler. People don't read the Bible. I think biblical illiteracy has less to do with understanding even simple concepts of translation and interpretation and more to do with the fact that people don't read it. Christians don't read it. 
I'm not talking about you guys. <laughs> you guys are smart. You guys are biblically literate. You are scholars. Amen? <laughs> Say amen is a positive confession. If you, if you, all right? There you go. Now, for way too much of history, illiteracy, I mean, the inability to read, was the rule, not the exception. Uh, the simple fact that was that people did not read for two very solid reasons. They did not read because they could not read. They did not read because there was nothing to read. <laughs> All right? Reading and education in general was a special privilege of the rich and powerful few. Kings read and the clergy read. Looking at the Bible specifically, everything had to be copied by hand and a decent copy of the Bible might take a year to produce and so they were obviously prohibitively expensive nobody could afford to own a bible so nobody's going to read a bible not in their homes and uh obviously gutenberg changed all that when the printing press was invented and developed suddenly there was a proliferation of reading material reading material of every kind it was cheap it was easily distributed, and one of the very first things that happened was that literacy rates skyrocketed in a matter of very few years. Now that's something, now that there was something to read, people wanted to read, and so they learned to read, and they could afford reading material. And of course, from the beginning, there were those who recognized this as a literal godsend. They saw this as a way to get the word of God into the hands of an increasingly literate public. And do you know who the main opponent was to this concept? The church. There were two big issues, and one was there was uh, an institutional opposition to translating the Bible into the vernacular from the Latin. They, they all taught and preached out of the, the Latin Bible and there were laws. There, there were pastors and priests who were punished, even killed, for teaching their congregations to recite the Ten Commandments in their native tongue. German, English, whatever. For uh, reciting the Lord's Prayer in English. This was considered heresy. There were civil laws against it because the state church was powerful. The other issue was distribution. The state church was utterly opposed to the idea of the laity having their own copy of the Bible. There was a licensing process. You had to have a license to own a Bible. You think government overreach is a new thing? You could be executed. There was a death penalty in place for people who were unlicensed and possessed a Bible. Now, this of course was all about power and control. They didn't want to, they, they talked about, well, we want to protect the people. It's too easy for them to get into heresy if they start reading it on their own. They didn't want them reading it on their own because they'd find out how free they were. And I'm simplifying things. But I'm sure you know, and I, if you don't, I want you to know that a great many people suffered and died just because of their passion to get the Bible into the hands of as many people as possible. I'll say this again. 
but you know, there, there is no shortage of Christian martyrs down through history who died for their faith. I'm just talking about the ones who died for the Bible. One of these men was William Tyndall. He was not the first martyr, not by a long shot. He was not the first one to translate the Bible into the vernacular, but he was the first to use the printing press to print the Bible in English. And he printed thousands of copies, uh, primarily of the New Testament. He hadn't finished translating the Old Testament yet, but he was working on it. And he shipped, actually, if you want to get technical about it, he smuggled thousands of copies of the New Testament to England, usually wrapped in bales of cotton or something like that. Sometimes they were found, but not nearly enough of them. Next thing you know, people were owning copies of the Bible, and then people were tattling on their neighbors, ratting each other out. And when they were discovered, uh, again, this is a time where technically there still existed and had for some time uh, a, a death sentence for possessing a Bible that was unauthorized. And uh, when a shipment was confiscated, they would burn it. And Tyndall was informed that they had just had a mass public burning of his, New Test his English language New Testaments in London. And here's what he said. In burning the New Testament, they did no other thing than I looked for or expected. No more than they sh uh, sorry, no more shall they do if they burn me also. Meaning he expected to be executed for his work. He spent years in hiding, not out of fear, but because he was desperate to finish the Bible and leave a good translation of the Bible before he was arrested and martyred. He knew his execution was inevitable. He just wanted to finish his work first. And he was. He finally, uh, somebody befriended him and then uh, betrayed him. And he was sentenced to be burned at the stake. The day the sentence was carried out, he was granted what was called the kindness you know what the kindness was? We're going to affix you to the stake and we're going to pile the wood, but before we light the wood on fire, we're going to strangle you. So they did that and burned his body at the stake. Here were his dying words, and I'm sure many of you have heard this. He cried out by most reliable reports, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Now, it wasn't too many years after that that a committee in English, in England, was assembled, the Committee of Scholars, and officially authorized by the king to produce an English-language Bible. This authorized version is what we now call the King James Bible. And it is, depending on which portion of the scriptures you're looking at, 75 to 90% of it is Tyndall's work. That was one man. I use him as an example because he was a martyr really of the purest sort because as I mentioned, he saw his death coming. He was not surprised by his arrest and his execution. He didn't go down kicking and screaming. He knew where his choices were leading. But he was convinced that it was the will of God 
that he be used in delivering a readable Bible to as many people as possible, into the hands of the common people. And like I said, we could, we could spend months of Sundays looking at and honoring and celebrating the heroic deeds of Christians who have, who have gone before us, and, and uh, we can even read the news, usually not headline news, but sometimes it pops up in the headlines. But it's not hard to find uh, examples of modern-day martyrs. Uh, in 2016, there were four Bible translators working for uh, Wycliffe Bible translators in, in the Middle East. Now, Wycliffe was a predecessor of, of Tyndall. He went through a lot of the same things. He was actually uh, arrested and sentenced, but he actually died in prison before he was executed. But same thing, translating the Bible. And Wycliffe translators, probably the premier missionary Bible translating organization in the world. And there, were, uh, there was a shop, printing press, translating equipment, scholars uh, who had an office in the Middle East, and it was attacked. Uh, and four of these Bible translators were killed. This was just 2016. I'm sure many have died since then. What I wanted to point out was those who survived that attack stayed and rebuilt and continued to print Bibles and translate Bibles. Why? Because they remain convinced, as Wycliffe was convinced, as Tyndall was convinced, as Martin Luther was convinced, that the most important possession of the Christian is the Bible, is the printed, the revealed Word of God. They know that if they get, their hand, their, they get the Bible in the hands of people, that people will, without a doubt, be saved. Lives, eternal lives will be saved. And nations will be changed. The world will be changed. And today... We have a literate society. Now, we can argue about just how literate, but all I mean is most people can read. And practically everybody has a Bible. And again, I don't know what percentage of people who own a Bible read a Bible, with any regularity anyway. And what do we do? We post pictures now. And I love these pictures, don't get me wrong get these great pictures. I see them on Facebook. I see them on, uh, just as uh, they, they make great uh, headers for articles in Christian magazines, and it'll show somebody uh, sitting on a deck or a dock or in an easy chair with a cup of coffee in one hand and a Bible in the other, relaxing, enjoying the Word of God. Great way to start the day. It is. It's wonderful. But then I think of that Memorial Day meme. Your day, at the your day at the beach, brought to you by their day at the beach. And I think we could look at a picture like this and say, this moment brought to you by, next picture. Do we have it? This moment. Why are we able to sit back with our copy of the Bible and read it at our leisure? Because guys like Tyndall went to their death to provide it for us. Or maybe we could just have this picture and caption it, earn this. As I move toward the end of this message, I 
really is short, isn't it? Except I'm moving toward it. I'm not there yet. Let me go back a little bit further and say again that martyrdom played a huge role in the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church. It's kind of counterintuitive when you think about it. <laughs> what happens to all these Christian leaders? So many of them died in violent ways, and yet people were still drawn. Such is the power of the gospel. People were still drawn to Christ and to make public commitments to Christ. And the first martyr that we read about in the New Testament was a man named Stephen. He was not an apostle. But we read about him in Acts chapters 6 and 7. And as he's finishing his sermon in chapter 7, he's preaching before the, the Sanhedrin, the ruling Jews. And uh, we pick it up in uh, chapter 7, verse 54. And we read, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now the very next verse, the beginning of chapter 8, it says Saul was consenting to his death. Now, number one, what a thing to witness. I mean, this is, we read, you know, you, can, you read about gory ways people died in days gone by. And it's easy to forget that people are still dying in some gory ways, cruel ways. But this is Stephen, and I think we've talked about this before. I'm sure there's worse ways, but I don't think that's a very... That's a very difficult thing to imagine, getting hit with rocks until you die. And that pain, I think, I think I've shared this story before. Uh, man, I can, does anybody ever experience that? You're in the middle of something and something hits you. Maybe somebody threw something and, and, and you were in the way. They didn't mean to hit you, but it hits you. And even though you know in the moment it was an accident, you feel this rage. You know what I'm talking about? Does, does, does pain produce anger in anybody besides me? I think that's why sometimes way people swear when they hit their thumb with a hammer. I can remember my manager who was a little guy working at the grocery store overnight years ago. And I'm, I'm tired. It's 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm filling the, remember the Brock's pick and mix The candy display where you just get all the different candy and, and you buy it by, by weight. And I'm filling this. And uh, the manager, who could be a mouthy little guy sometimes, picks up one of the little round sour balls, the hard candy, and throws it halfway down the aisle and hits me right in the side of the head. Just to be goofy, but it just set something off and I threw my box down and I ran down there and I grabbed him and I picked him up in the air and slammed him on the ground. Which, you know, today would make, you know, it would be video on somewhere on, uh, look, you Employee loses it on manager, uh, on manager, gets sentenced to life in prison, whatever. He knew we had it coming, and we were friends. I said, don't ever do that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just the rage in the moment. Now, these guys 
are throwing rocks at Stephen till he dies. And what does he cry out at the very end? Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And who's witnessing this? A young man named Saul, who then we read about a chapter later, after chapter 8, that he was still breathing threats and murder against the church. He's a man on a mission. He's, got, he's been authorized by the church leadership to expose Christians, to arrest Christians, to imprison them, and ultimately kill them. And he's on his way to Damascus to get more. Now, travel wasn't as fast. Life went on in terms of getting from point A to point B at a much more leisurely pace. And he had time to think about some things. He had just witnessed something that even though he was, in, he was heartily approving of Stephen being put to death, that's the kind of thing that makes an impression on a man. Do you think that just maybe he was mulling this over? That the witnesses, for whatever rank, whoever, whoever this guy Saul was, he was the one that the witnesses, the ones who were stoning Stephen, they laid their coats at his feet while he stood there in approval and watched him die and heard him say things like, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Receive my spirit. Don't hold this sin to their account. And he must have been thinking, what, what, what? And he's replaying this in his mind, and then all of a sudden, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's knocked down, he's blinded, he says, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Pretty dramatic conversion experience. All I'm suggesting is his witnessing Stephen's death and the manner of his death had something to do with it. It was an important step in that conversion. And I want to remind you of this. Jesus has made us some great and precious promises. And he has also promised us this. In this world you will have trouble. He has promised us persecution. Now listen, we can rebuke poverty and sickness based on promises he has given us for healing and provision but we cannot rebuke persecution i don't pray for it pray for deliverance from it but it's a promise i can't stand and rebuke persecution for my faith in jesus name god has somehow Despite how unpleasant it is, how much it's meant to scare others, God has used persecution of his saints down through the centuries as an important part of his witness in the earth. Another thought. While we think about martyrs, you need to remember that Jesus, while he was persecuted and died, did not die a martyr's death. Jesus was not a martyr. He said clearly that no one could take his life from him, but he was giving it. He was laying it down. The death he died, he died not as a martyr, but as our substitute. He died in my place. He died in your place. That death sentence was on us because of our sin and jesus said i'm dying in your place i'm taking the guilt and paying the price 
for the sin that brought this sentence on you, and you can't stop him from doing it because it's finished. We can refuse the gift of eternal life that is offered to us, the gift that is already paid for, but we can't stop him from paying that price for us. It's already paid. If we accept it, we have to accept it as a gift, but I still want you to think back to this. Earn this. Because Jesus doesn't say that because there's nothing we can do to earn it. The reason I think back on that in any biblical context at all is that as the line is delivered in the film, again, the deed is already done. The price is already paid. He's simply asking Private Ryan, again, to live a life that honors the price that has been paid. And certainly, believers, we're called to do the same thing. Salvation, the work of salvation has been accomplished. The price has already been paid. If you receive that salvation, you are called upon to honor him who saved you. So you live your life in a way that demonstrates your gratitude for that sacrifice. And remember that we stand on the shoulders of giants like Wycliffe, like Tyndall, and like Luther. These are men who risked everything to obey God. What for? To deliver his word to us. We've been given this great gift of easy access to the word of God, at least here in America. Something else we need to appreciate. There are whole nations where it's still illegal to own a Bible. And there are still, I think, over 200, somewhere around 200 uh, pockets in this world where they have no Bible in their language. 200 separate languages that the Bible still needs to be translated into. The least we can do is love the Word. Read the Word. Appreciate the Word. Meanwhile, the gift is still ours to receive. This is, this is an awkward time, but we really are getting near the end of this. Seniors, if you need to go set up your tables, you can go, but only if you are a born-again child of God. If you're not, you need to stick around and listen to this next part, okay? On one hand, God makes salvation very easy. Why don't you stand up with me just for a few minutes? This is the most important part of the message, so I want to make sure you're engaged. And I know most of you in here have already made this decision. On one hand, it's easy because there's nothing we have to do. I've said that. The Bible makes it clear the work has already been done. On the other hand, we look at, uh, yes, on, absolutely look at his goodness. Look at the pleasures. Look at the joy. Look at the blessings that God makes abundantly available. But then also, look at the persecution, look at the trial. It is one of the strangest tensions in the New Testament truth, whereas one, whereas one hand Jesus can say with absolute uh, truth that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yet, on the other hand, uh, Paul can list all of these things, these list of things that has happened to him as a minister of the gospel. And it's a horrible list. 
and think, oh, wait a second, that doesn't look easy. Jesus said it was easy. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. What makes it easy? Keeping our eyes on him and being in love with him. I'm not going to tell the story again, but do you remember my story about Boris and Natasha from Russia that, that, that Beth and I met at the Andy Williams Theater? Talked about this lifetime of struggle and the amazing, th the incredibly hard things he had to do and ended up by saying this, but it's easy to sacrifice for those you love. When you really meet Jesus, you will love him. And those hard things don't seem as hard. There were Christians who were burned at the stake Read Fox's Book of Martyrs. Read Jesus Freaks, young people. Same stories. Uh, and they were getting ready to nail this guy. I don't know if he was a Bible translator or what, but they were getting ready to nail his hands behind his back at the stake before they burned him to the stake. He says, don't bother with that. I'm not going anywhere. The God who is going to see me through this burning is going to keep me standing still while I burn. They look forward to the honor of dying in that manner. Now, nobody joins the service for the purpose of dying. But I love everybody who joins the service because they are at least putting themselves in harm's way just by signing on the dotted line. Everybody knows it's a possibility, or they should. I was talking to Tithy, Rainey's friend, right before service, and she was telling me how she is considering joining the Marine Corps. I said, man, why the Marines? I mean, God will forgive her for that, but <laughs> love the Marines. I love the Marines. Join the Navy. I said, I said, why the Marines? She says, well, I know it's supposed to be the hardest. I said, why? So why the Marines? Because it's supposed to be the hardest. It's kind of cool. Well, the attraction to Jesus shouldn't be that it makes life easier. It's that he empowers you to do the hardest things. There's something in us that should respond to that. I don't want a life of ease. I just want the hard things to be easy because I'm strong. He gives us strength. He offers us a life that is beyond compare. It is full of joy, yes, even in the midst of persecution. The Bible says, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from sin, saved from hell. If you've never made that decision, anybody, will you make it this morning? Will you begin this journey, this adventure that ends up in the very presence of God? It's not, it's, it, it begins with just accepting that gift. I know, he's already paid for it. But once you receive that gift, Make up your mind. I will go where he calls me to go. I'll do what he tells me to do. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, and we thank you for those who have gone before, who have laid such a great foundation as they obeyed you, who have delivered the word of God to us in our native tongue so that we can easily access it. We thank you for the abundance of tools that are available to us to make understanding your word uh, easier. And forgive us for taking those tools and all these many blessings for granted. Right now, Lord God, we thank you for Jesus. And I pray that if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who has never 
personally received that gift of salvation, committed their life to your lordship, that you would touch them, that you would speak to them, that you would grant them the conviction, the realization that they need you, that you would grant them the courage and the boldness to publicly confess you today. In Jesus' name, all the believers said, Amen. So quickly, just by a show of hands, you say, Scott, that's me today. I desire to be saved. I will follow Christ. Anybody who hasn't done it, who would like to do it today, you know what the Bible says about, the, can you do it tomorrow? Yeah, but the Bible says, now is the time. Today is the day of salvation. If your heart's beating 100 miles an hour, it's God saying, don't wait another day. There's no time to waste. And that same puts pressure on you, but I'll do anything I can <laughs> to get you to make that decision. Is there anybody? Is today your day? Just go like this. I'm not going to call you up here. I'm going to pray with you right where you are. Okay. Anybody who has made that decision, you remember you made it in grade school, Sunday school, whatever, last week, 10 years ago. You're like, you know, I made that decision. I've never renounced Christ, but I've never really considered the cost until now, and I would just like to recommit to the challenge, to the persecution, to the hardness of it, because now I see Christ more clearly, and I know his goodness and his power are going to see me through those challenges. Will you recommit, rededicate your life to Christ today? One, thank you. Anybody else? One more time. Anybody want to get saved? First time today. Show of hands. Anybody else? Recommit. Saved? Recommit? All right. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for salvation. And I thank you for opening our eyes and reminding us just what's involved in the commitment we made. Thank you for that. Even when we've been faithless, you've been faithful. And forgive us again, Lord, for times we haven't taken it as seriously, haven't pursued you as wholeheartedly. We commit together with those who have publicly stated their desire to do so, to, to pursue you with, with a, a fresh passion, with a fresh sense of urgency, not for our own blessing, not for our own salvation, but because there's a world perishing that needs to know you as we've come to know you. So we receive a fresh infilling and empowering of your Holy Spirit today and, we, and a fresh determination to see you, a fresh determination to hear you and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You can be seated for a moment. As we wrap this up, let's just uh, continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and our offerings. Um, you guys are, have been such a faithful congregation. It's been a tough, tough year for a lot of churches. It's been tough for this one in many ways, but we've never, uh, we've never lacked for the things that we've committed to as a church. We are still supporting missionaries who are still working hard in the field. Can't wait. Three weeks we're going to hear from a great one. Even though they're not on our monthly support, they're here nearly every year, and we have an opportunity to, to invest in their ministry. Uh, We've been able to meet all of, our, all of our commitments as a church. We haven't lacked for anything. Uh, why? Because God is good. And two, because you are an obedient congregation. You're committed to the things of God, and you recognize that that means everything. It's one thing to sing, with all my heart and with all my life. But if what you really mean is with all my heart and all my emotions and all my mind and everything but my money, it's not all your life and it's not all your heart. Your heart follows where, where your treasure goes.
right? And the and, and Bible's very clear that everything belongs to God. And the tithe, we obey him in the tithe to show that we acknowledge that if he asks for it all, we give it all to him. But the tithe, he says, don't touch that. That's mine to start with. Really all his. Gives it to us. Asks us to obey him in the tithe. And then beyond that, in the offering as he lays it on his heart, until we learn that we realize every time we obey God with our giving, we don't lack. He multiplies it back to us. And we've heard these stories today. Uh, thank God for the printing press that made printing cheap. But cheap isn't the same thing as free. And these Bible societies and these missionaries are doing everything they can do, but it still costs money to print Bibles, to ship Bibles, to deliver Bibles, etc. So uh, all, of this, all of this works together. And of course, not all the focus is on what's happening in Africa or Panama or Europe or anything else. Living Word Family Church is good ground. I believe we are touching people's lives. We are coming together as a church, blessing one another. And I believe uh, that in this, as, as we're, we are hearing the rumblings of revival in our midst, that uh, these seats are going to fill up again, that we're going to see more and more people come not just to church, but come to Christ, which is what we are supposed to be about. It's, we've been distracted long enough. Let's get on message and start preaching Christ as individuals, as families, and as a church. And continue to obey him as now with our tithes and our offerings. Sorry if you've got a cash offering and you need an envelope, uh, let the ushers know. If you, I think you know the drill by now. You probably grabbed one on the way in. Many of you probably dropped your check off on the way in. But if you're still writing it and need a reminder, this is Living Word Family Church. You can simply write LWFC if you want. And uh, if you've got your offering, wait until you're dismissed and you can deposit that in the appropriate, appropriate receptacle as you exit. Oh, praise and worship team. I guess I should have had you come up here, huh? Are we going out with a song today? Well, come on up here. I'm sorry. You guys, when I start doing the altar call, just get up here and start singing. Why do I, why do, why do I have to think of everything? Sorry, no, that's my fault. <laughs> oh, thank you, Lord. Are you ready to give this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you again for your goodness, for your presence in this place, for every good thing you're doing in our lives, everything you're doing in our lives as individuals, everything you're doing in our families and our homes, everything you're doing in this church, and every way you are using us to bless and change our community, our nation, and our world. And now, Lord God, as always, we thank you for the privilege of giving into the work of your kingdom. Thank you for the excellent ministries you've connected us with over the years. Thank you for this church. And thank you for all of the, the, thank you for the abundance of resources that you've blessed us with to keep us effective, hooked up, involved. We recognize and celebrate you as the provider, the abundant provider of all good things. And now we celebrate as we return a portion of that to you according to your word. And we believe that as we tithe and give offerings, it will be multiplied back to us. Good measure, shaken together, running. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. We believe, according to your word, it will be given back to us, Father, and we will commit ourselves to give more and more generously as that return manifests in our lives. Thank you for your provision, for your healing, your protection, for your love and salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you give.
Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And if you enjoyed today's message, consider sharing it with a friend. For more content and information about Living Word, check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. And remember to live the gospel and preach the gospel.